Now, if you're a worshiper of the true God, then part of worshiping Him will, of course, include the Sabbath. Someone might say, well, hold on, brother, you're downplaying the Sabbath there. You better be careful. What's more important? The Sabbath that God made or the God who actually made the Sabbath? Because in Babylon, there is something more important than Sunday worship. You know what that is? The sun god that they worship on the Sunday. They keep Sunday because of the sun god. The Trinity is one example and illustration of worshiping someone other than the true God. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of our uh, study this afternoon is Daniel's Key. And in looking at Daniel's key, I want to look at prophecy. I want to look at a particular uh, aspect of prophecy that uh, we don't really discuss all that often. And in looking at that, I'm going to go look at uh, some familiar ground, but hopefully we're going to look at it from a fresh perspective, from a perspective that we don't usually discuss. Well, the book of uh, Daniel and Revelation, they go hand in hand. But the foundation for understanding the book of Revelation is actually in Daniel. And so this is why this is entitled Daniel's Key. Uh, the key of the, that's provided for us in the prophet Daniel's book that enables us to understand the real issues at play in the prophecies that are foretold there or that are given to us that foretell events that will come. Only with this key can you really unlock the door, so to speak, and get to the true intent and meaning of the prophecies. And that's understanding the real issues that are at play. Now, the book of Daniel, uh, we know, is an important book, like we said, in connection with the Revelation. <clears throat> We're also told that uh, a study of Daniel and Revelation is to bring about a revival, right? Now, I've read that statement a number of times, and I've wondered sometimes, how does that work? Have you wondered about that? Because I don't know about you, but I've been to a number of Daniel and Revelation seminars and, and you know, I, I look at these things and study them and, and different meetings that deal with that. But to be honest with you, I haven't really seen this revival and reformation that's spoken about in that statement. And uh, sometimes we tend to think, well, maybe I need to go to a few more Daniel and Revelation seminars. Maybe it'll happen then, or maybe I need to memorize some more dates, or maybe I need to be more familiar with all these aspects of the prophecy. And uh, if you've wondered about that, that's good. That's, that's what I'm talking about. What is this all about? Is it possible that maybe we have missed something? Because we consider ourselves to be experts in the books of Daniel and Revelation. As a matter of fact, we're so good at it, we have a number of different charts for all the different events and not all the charts line up the same but that's beside the point it just shows that we study this stuff and we're really good at it we have a certain pride of being a people of prophecy and i'm not saying that uh, as a negative thing we are a people of prophecy uh, we are uh, the movement that we are part of has been prophesied uh, our message is prophetic, the three angels' messages. It's right there in the book of Revelation. So that's, that's part of our identity. But in the process, uh, there also develops a certain assurance that we are the experts on the topic. And usually the case is that when you believe you're an expert on the topic, uh, you think you know it all. It's not likely that you're going to see something fresh or something different or something that might be even challenging from another perspective. So hopefully today I want to examine that and see, is there something that we might have missed in the books of Daniel and Revelation that provides us with the real issue at play that is revealed in these books? Jesus highlighted the importance of studying Daniel, Matthew 24, 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand then he goes on to say, let him that is in Judea and in the cities flee. It's time to flee. But here Jesus pinpoints Daniel and particularly the prophecy of Daniel as being a key component in understanding what will happen in the destruction of Jerusalem. But we also understand that this also incorporates the end of the world because in that chapter we are told that the Son of Man comes. 
in the clouds of heaven and he will be seen by everyone. And so the book of Daniel has important relevant information for us in preparing for the second coming. We all know that, I'm aware of that, but I just want to lay the foundation. If you think about it, the book of Daniel is actually not that big of a book. There are only 12 chapters in Daniel. And uh, other authors in the scriptures, other prophets have written much more than Daniel, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Their books are quite sizable and plenty of visions there, plenty of prophecies there. And yet Daniel seems to hold a much more superior place of importance, particularly in relation to the last days. What Jesus said there, of course, reinforces that. But you seem, you kind of get that sense from reading the book of Daniel. You know, even the stories in the book of Daniel are some of the most famous Bible stories, right? You know, I read the Bible stories for my, for my little girl. And, you know, almost in all the different storybooks, Daniel in the lion's den and in the fiery furnace and the three Hebrew boys, they're the, some of the top Bible, famous Bible stories. They're from the book of Daniel. And, uh, there are two parts in the book of Daniel. There are the story or biography section of the book of Daniel, and there's also the prophecies section of the book of Daniel. And th- those two parts make up the whole book. The interesting thing is many times, uh, while we like the stories and they're interesting, our focus usually tends to be on the prophecies because the prophecies contain the technical details and the information of all the kingdoms and nations and kings and events that will transpire. But you know that the the story section or the biography section of the book of Daniel actually contains prophetic elements. These are the issues that will be at play during the prophecies. And so the stories, you know, if you think about it, Daniel lived to be an old man. A lot of things happened in the life of Daniel. We only have a handful of stories recorded in the book of Daniel. Why those and not others? Because they have a very important relevance in connection with the prophecies in the book of Daniel. Of course, by extension, the book of Revelation. And understanding the issues of prophecy is from the stories. Understanding the nuts and bolts and the technical details are in the prophecy. And they have to be seen together. They have to be married together. I'm showing you some examples of that as we go along. But they are basically types. These stories serve as prophetic stories, not just biographies or stories of events that happened in the past. They are types. Probably the most famous uh, story or the most famous dream in the world is the dream found in Daniel chapter 2. It's one of those chapters where you have pretty much most, if not all, Christians in agreement as to what it means. Daniel chapter 2 and the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. We all know that. I'm not going to go through the details of that. We're all familiar with that. Just I'm out of of curiosity. How many of you have been to a Daniel Revelation seminar? Hands up if you've ever attended one of those. Wow, that looks like pretty much everyone. And if if you're you're an Adventist, chances are, yes, you most definitely have heard either in your local church or possibly that might be how you actually came to the Advent message. Okay, that's good to know. So you would have heard all these things. I'm not going to repeat all that. The nations, the kings, who conquered who, which nation ruled for how long. But have you ever thought about it? What was the point of the dream of the image in Daniel 2? You ever stop to ask yourself the question? Probably the most obvious answer would be revealing what will happen in the future. Do you realize that that's a secondary point? That's not the main point. And this is what I want to see uh, from the chapter. The dream was about revealing something to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. Part of it was what will happen in the future, but there was a greater purpose to that. The key to understanding the prophecies of uh, Daniel and Revelation is knowing the God that inspired them. The God of Daniel. And the God of John, of course, John the Revelator. The God that inspired these things is the God who will help us understand them. And uh, he's the one that gave Daniel wisdom when the wise men of the kingdom were going to be killed. And Daniel inquired of God with his friends, and God revealed the thing to Daniel, as we're told. And this is the response. We, uh, we see it here, Daniel 2, verses 19 and verse 23. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven 
And verse 23, I thank thee, he said, and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee, for thou hast made known unto us the king's matter. Daniel gives thanks and praise to who? He says here, O thou God of my fathers. Who is he referring to here when he says, O thou God of my fathers? Because this God that revealed this request, this dream to Daniel, is the same God that gave the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel recognized that God was doing something to reach the heart and the mind of the king. Make no mistake about it. Daniel recognized God's hand in the fact that the king had a dream, then forgot it, so that would really test the magicians. They couldn't just come up with whatever interpretation. They actually needed to come up with the actual dream and then an interpretation for the dream. So that really stumped them. And Daniel recognized that God was doing something. So he went and sought God and prayed and God revealed to him this thing. And uh, it's important to recognize you know, God's hand in certain events and circumstances and being able to read that and act and respond accordingly. But he talks about here, he gives praise to the God of my fathers. Who is the God of the fathers? And when Daniel says the fathers, who is he referring to? Who are the fathers of Daniel as a Hebrew? It would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the patriarchs that followed, so on. But these are the three, you know, the, the three main ones, the God of the fathers. Well, if you ask any Hebrew person who the God of the fathers is, the answer is very clear. I want to show you one example. This is someone from the New Testament. Peter, also a Hebrew, and he helps us understand who Daniel is talking about as far as the God of the fathers. Acts 3.13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So the God of the fathers is who? He's the one that has a son by the name of Jesus, right? So that's God the Father. One person. One individual, singular person and being. I have to be so clear these days because there is so much misunderstanding. That's God the Father. This is the God of Daniel. This is the God of the Fathers. It's not two persons. It's not three persons. It's not any more, however many you want to add. It's one individual person. It happens to be the Father of Jesus Christ. Every Hebrew knew that. And this is who Daniel had in mind when he praised God. He says, I thank you and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers. Why is this important? We're going to see why this is important because Daniel recognized and understood that this was his opportunity to share and testify of his God to the pagan king of Babylon through the circumstance of this dream. You see, this dream was God's means of acquainting Nebuchadnezzar with him, the only true God, through his servant Daniel. And Daniel saw and understood what was happening. Notice in the telling of the dream. This is what Daniel begins to say. Daniel 2 and verse 28 says to the king, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he begins to give the dream and the interpretation. But who is he talking about here when he says there is a God in heaven? He's talking about the God of his fathers. He's talking about God the Father. So in, in introducing the interpretation, Daniel is acquainting the king with the source of the dream, the revealer of the dream, and the interpreter of the dream. Daniel is just the medium, the messenger. And in telling the dream, a number of times he repeats this phrase in verse 37. He says, the God of heaven. Again, in verse 44. And in verse 45, he says, he calls him the great God. He's talking about the same person throughout, the same person that heard his prayer. The interesting thing, what I find amazing, is that the king gets the point. King Nebuchadnezzar got the point of the dream. He got the point of what God was trying to communicate to him. You know, isn't it amazing? When King Nebuchadnezzar hears the dream and the interpretation of it, you know, it's not a politically correct dream to tell the king. Tell him, you're the king, you're the head of gold. After you, is going to come a kingdom that's going to conquer and destroy your kingdom, and then so on and so forth. But Daniel revealed that. And the interesting thing is what caught Nebuchadnezzar's attention was not things like, oh, hold on, 
Which kingdom, Daniel, is going to come after me? What time period should I be looking at? None of these details of the dream stood out to the king. What stood out to the king the most is what he actually declares in verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Isn't that interesting? What stood out to the king the most was the point that God was trying to communicate, that he is the God, the true God of heaven. The evidence was that he gave this dream foretelling future events as proof that he is the true God as opposed to all these other false gods. You see the point of Daniel chapter 2? Sometimes we get so caught up in the details of the image and the metals and what year Babylon fell and which king was ruling at the time. These are all good and well, don't get me wrong. But we stop with the details and forget the bigger picture and the point of the communication that God was trying to convey to this king. So this, of course, obviously, when, when the king here says, your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings, who is he talking about? God the Father the father of Christ, as we read elsewhere. And this was the king's testimony. Isn't that interesting? This was Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. When we come to uh, Daniel chapter 3, there we have the story of the fiery furnace, the three Hebrew boys who were thrown in the fire. The three Hebrew boys, what were their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, that's their pagan names. They're more famous by their pagan names, not their, not their birth names, not their Hebrew names, but their pagan names. So Babylon's program of changing their names obviously was very successful. Uh, what are their Hebrew names? Okay, yes, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, let's read about this particular aspect because this is also important. In Daniel 1 and verse 7, and to whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, of Meshach and to Azariah of Abednego. Now there is a very important detail here in the names. The names of these Hebrew boys all contained a reference to the God that they worshipped. You realize that? And that's highlighted there. It's in the ending of each name. Uh, Daniel's name, for example, has El. That's that's short for uh, that's the Hebrew word for God. Uh, we probably might be more familiar with Elohim. El is the singular form of that, or Eloah. And that's what's contained in Daniel's name. Now, Daniel's name actually means God is my judge or God will judge. God is referenced there in the last part of his name. And that's the same for the others as well. For Hananiah, you have the I-A-H or Y-A-H, and uh, which is Yah. And Yah is the shortened form of Yahweh or Jehovah. So Hananiah would mean God has favored. Which God? The, he, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the fathers. Same with Mishael. Uh, what would that mean? Any guesses for that? It's very close to Michael. Michael. Okay, so that means uh, he that is what God is, he is. That's what that means. And the last one, Azariah, it means uh, Jehovah has helped or God has helped. Uh, what, what Babylon was attempting to do by changing their names is eradicating any reference to the God that they worshipped. That's why they gave them pagan Babylonian names. This is Babylon's attempt in the last days, is to capture God's people and to remove their identity that is connected with the God that they worshipped. That's what that reveals. And so Babylon's change of their names was not just a light thing. Obviously, Daniel records it, it has a purpose. And you see that in the book of Revelation, that's what... Babylon, the system of Babylon tries to do to God's people. Because in the book of Revelation, you have a group of saints referred to by a number, the 144,000. They have a name written where? And therefore, what name is that? The Father's name. That's the same God of Daniel. Babylon, and the woman that sits on the beast, is referred to as you know that great city, also has a name written on, their forehead, on her forehead. It's... Mystery, Babylon the Great. So this is what's happening. Now, these three boys are, uh, are thrown in the fire because they will not bow down to the image. We know the story. Uh, a death sentence over an issue of worship, right? 
That's what happens. They're thrown in the fire, and I think we know the story. Uh, there's four men. Here's what the king says, Daniel 3.25. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men, loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. You ever wondered how did the king know about the Son of God? Well, some people say, actually, the king wasn't referring to the Son of God. Because if we look, at, we look up the, the original language, what the king was actually saying, it's an expression uh, of, of some supernatural being. They would refer to a supernatural being as a son of the gods. And so what the king saw was a supernatural event, a supernatural being, a fourth one. So he was just exclaiming as a pagan king would, oh, this looks like one of the son of the gods. Is that what the king was saying? No, it isn't. Well, how do we know that? Okay, he had three missionaries. Well, the context, if we read the context of the story, that's very true. But from the context, first and foremost, we know that's not what the king meant. Let's just keep reading and see what is revealed. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who's that? God the Father. Because he heard about him in Daniel chapter 2 from Daniel. Now there's approximately about 20 years difference uh, in time. Uh, between the events in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 3. So some time has transpired. We kind of read it and we think it's kind of like the next day or the next week that he builds up this, build, this, this image to bow down to. No, there, there were a number of years there. But he knows who their God is. And this is what he says. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hath sent his angel. Is that singular or plural? Singular. A singular. And delivered his servants that trusted in him. And have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own gods. In that declaration is revealed the real issues at play in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Realize that? It's an issue of worship. Who will be worshipped? Will you worship the God of the true God of heaven, the great God? Or will you worship any other God? These boys faced a death sentence over this issue. So from this we know that the king, when he said the son of God, he was referring to one individual who was the son of not some any pagan uh, deity or pagan god, but the, the messenger, that's what the angel here means, the messenger of the God of the Hebrew boys. That's none other than the son of God. Later we know him as Jesus when he was incarnated. So how did he know that the God of heaven had a son? Well, as someone said, he had three missionaries there. They shared their faith, just like Daniel shared his faith about the true God. He would have heard more details about this God, that this God has a son. And in the form of the fourth, he recognized his son, and he recognized him in the capacity of a savior, because he was saving his people from death. So in chapter 2, he meets God the Father. In chapter 3, he meets the Son of God, the deliverer of his people. Isn't that interesting? I didn't hear that in the Daniel Revelation seminar. Because it's assumed that everybody knows God and worships Him. Let's get into the details of the prophecy and this king and this kingdom. You with me? And the real issues of why all these details are given, the real issues at play, many times are ignored or not given the attention they deserve. And what has happened is Satan has changed our mindset regarding the issues. And we are so caught up on the details that we miss the real issues. So this was their God, and they would not worship anyone but Him. Of course, the Son of God is the one who delivers His people in the last days from the clutches of Babylon and the death, that will the death decree that will result from Babylon. So, many times, the issue, if, we, if people do talk about an issue in the last days, in the books of Daniel and Revelation, usually the issue boils down to this. Which day do you keep? Sabbath or Sunday? If you, call, if you keep Sabbath, you will make it. If you keep Sunday, woe unto you. And here are all the details of the prophecies, all the different kings and dates and nations and all these things. Isn't that right? Essentially, that's what it is. The whole point of Revelation Seminar at the end of the day, here, keep the Sabbath and you can become a member of the church and be baptized and you're set for the kingdom now. You've, you understand any revelation and you're keeping the Sabbath. That's it. Mm -hmm. Now that is woefully deficient and so limiting to the real issues at play. Now we know this 
the three angels' messages. This is why we're told about three angels' messages. And I saw another angel, Revelation 14, 6 and 7. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And usually, when this is shared, the reasoning goes like this. The description that is given here of God as creator of heaven, maker of heaven and earth, the sea and all the, uh, and the fountains of waters. This is connected with the Ten Commandments because later on in that chapter in verse 12, it says, here are they that keep the commandments of God. So you go to the commandments of God. Where do you find in the commandments where God is a creator? You find it in the fourth commandment. So there you go, brothers and sisters. The first angel's message is about the Sabbath. That's the reasoning, right? This is how we, now that's true, but that's a secondary point. Because the description of God as creator is not, the idea is not to point us to the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the sign that he's the creator, but it's to point us as the evidence that he is the one who is worthy of worship. Amen. That's the point. We, we launch off into our favorite topic, the, the, the Sabbath, and, and we leave everything else behind. Now, I understand that this, you know, it's in our name. Uh, most of Christendom is ignoring the Sabbath, so we see, there is a, a certain sense of duty and responsibility to restore God's downtrodden law. All good and well. What about the God who gave the law? We leave Him out of the picture too often. The first angel's message is about that God, not just about the day. Because if you think about it, you know, let's be honest, okay? Let's be really honest with ourselves. The Sabbath is not mentioned in the book of Daniel. And the Sabbath is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. I know it's alluded to in places like here and in the beginning of the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 10, where it says the Lord's Day. But the Sabbath is not mentioned as the Sabbath in the books of Daniel and Revelation. That's a fact. Whether we like it or not, it's a fact. Because we love the Sabbath so much, you know, we try and put it where God does not intend and give it importance that God never intended. So much so that in some people's minds, it replaces God himself. You realize that? To many Seventh-day Adventists, their assurance and safety in making it in the last days depends on their willpower in keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath and making sure they reject Sunday, even if somebody puts a gun to their head. Sunday worship days. You know what I'm talking about? To a lot of people, that's what it is. You, you want to be safe in the last day? I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm, I'm, I'm good. That is a deep, deep deception. Because if you don't know and worship the God of the Sabbath, what good is the Sabbath? And so it's a very, very serious thing. Now, if you're a worshiper of the true God, then part of worshiping Him will, of course, include the Sabbath. Someone might say, well, hold on, brother. You're downplaying the Sabbath there. You better be careful. What's more important, the Sabbath that God made or the God who actually made the Sabbath? It's a pretty, pretty obvious question, I hope. Yeah, the temple or the builder of the temple. Okay, that's another way of putting it. So, the maker of heaven and earth, that's the father, that's the God of Daniel, that's also the God of John. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, we have a convert to this true God. Daniel chapter 4 is actually written by Nebuchadnezzar, not by Daniel. Uh, it's a beautiful testimony of what happened to him. He spent seven years out in the wilderness, you know, as an animal, right? Remember he was proud? Seven years, seven times passed upon him. And then at the end there, this is his declaration, Daniel 4.37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to to abase. What a testimony from the king of Babylon, the pagan Babylon, the Babylon that God uses to symbolize the enemies of truth in the book of the Revelation in the last days. You know, that's an encouragement for us that from the heart of Babylon, there will be converts to the true God. Amen. That's what that is saying. And Daniel included the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar in his book, the whole chapter is written by Nebuchadnezzar. He includes it in his book as part of the prophecies of Daniel. That in the last days, God knows he's going to have a people who are going to go up against the beast and his image and the whole system of Babylon. And that's a pretty, pretty serious thing to go up against. 
But God is encouraging his people saying, listen, the king of Babylon in the days of Daniel was converted to me. Don't forget that when you go out and face Babylon in the last days. That's an encouragement for us, for God's people. And the king of heaven here, of course, he's talking about the true God. King Nebuchadnezzar, as far as we understand and based on his testimony, will be in the kingdom. You realize that? Well, he was a worshiper of the true God. He did not worship a trinity, just to be clear. Okay? He was a worshiper of the true God. Because that's who's worshipped in heaven. It's interesting that this description uh, and this praise that Nebuchadnezzar give, gives here uh, is very similar to scenes of praise and worship that we actually see in the book of Revelation. Notice this, for example, from Revelation 15 and verse 4, talking about the 144,000 in heaven, singing and worshipping God. It says, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Does that terminology here remind you of something else in the book of Revelation we just read? The first angel's message, right? Which says, fear God, give glory to him, and worship him, because the hour of his judgment is come. What do we see here? A harmony of worship between heaven and earth. That's what the first angel's message is designed to do. To bring a harmony of worship between heaven and earth. The fact that the first angel's message is given indicates that on earth, the true God of heaven is not being worshipped. Otherwise, why would you send a message that says, fear God, give glory to Him, worship Him? It's because everybody else is everybody's worshipping something or someone else. That's the point. That's the issue at play in the books of Daniel and Revelation. Who will you worship? Which God will you worship? The true God or anyone else in his place? Now, among Christians, the most popular replacement of the true God happens to be the idea that God is a trinity. Whatever explanation or version you might have or however, what variety of it, there are a lot of varieties out there, but that's the most common one. But that's definitely not the only one. Worship in the book of Revelation. Here we have another scene of worship. Revelation 5, verse 13 and 14. <clears throat> it says, And every creature which is in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Why is this scene of worship, of what's taking place in heaven, a heavenly scene of worship, why is this revealed in the book of Revelation? Because God's plan and God's purpose is to bring a harmony of worship between his people on earth and everyone else that they're going to be spending eternity with in heaven. If you see that, you see that a number of times in the book of Revelation especially. The foundation was laid in Daniel. You see it very clearly in Revelation. If you can understand the issues. Brothers and sisters, this is the real point of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Realize that? It's to acquaint you with the true God of heaven so that you can be on his side, a worshiper of him, and be saved at last. That's what it's about. Sadly, too many times, I know this because I've talked to a number of people, a lot of people feel a certain apprehension or unpreparedness for the last days because they're not very well versed in the books of Daniel and Revelation as far as the technical details. You know what I'm talking about? In other words, they can't give a, a Daniel Revelation seminar because they don't know what year the kingdom of Babylon fell. If I were to ask you, how many of you now could tell me off the top of your head, what king or what year did Babylon fall to the Medes and Persians? Don't tell me the answer, but how, if you do know the answer, hands up. What year? Okay, two hands, three hands. Okay, thank you for the year. I don't know the year off the top of my head. Okay, I'll admit right here. If I went down the image, how many people would know? You know what I'm talking about? And we, because this is all the time the focus and the emphasis is laid upon in the books of Daniel and Revelation. We tend to think subconsciously that knowing Daniel and Revelation and the issues and understanding them and being ready is about knowing all these details. And they are all important and good and well, but you can know them and be lost. If you do not take the next step, the whole point of all these details is to bring you to a knowledge of the true God, 
who foretold the future, who's going to save his people, who has a son who is a deliverer, and to have a connection with him. Amen. That's the point. Amen. That is what brings a revival. You realize that? Yeah. It's not when you memorize all these details. And sadly, I know there are a lot of people who feel a little bit apprehensive that they're not too sure about Daniel Revelation because they don't have all the technical details ready in their head at a moment's notice to pull them out. And maybe sometimes we need to reassure people that that's not what the issues are about in the books of Daniel Revelation. Am I saying these details are not important? They are very important. God gave them, therefore our study. But they're not the end of the story. Let's not stop there. We get so obsessed with these things and our ideas of them that it comes to, you know, you start talking about the true God and people say, hold on, brother, that's a distraction. We need to focus on the three angels' messages and the Sabbath. If you say anything outside of what we have been used to saying and believe, if you say anything other than that, you are from the devil. And this is a distraction from Satan. I've heard that. This, this is a common reasoning. How, I don't know, I don't understand how we can come to these conclusions. But maybe I can a little bit. It's because we get fixated with the details and the nuts and the bolts and the Sabbath. You can say things, but don't, don't put anything as more important than the Sabbath, even the God who made it. Woe unto you if you do that. Woe unto us if we come to that place, brothers and sisters. Let me ask you a question. When the Jewish nation was destroyed in Jerusalem, were they Sabbath keepers? And yet they were destroyed in the structure of Jerusalem, right? And that's a picture of the destruction of the world. Think about that if you're a Sabbath keeper. It didn't save them, did it? That's something worth considering and thinking about. So in this scene of worship, we see worship that is given to how many? To him that sits on the throne and? And to the Lamb. Are you still awake, by the way? Amen. You want to check on your neighbor right quick? You are your brother's keeper and your sister's keeper, okay? And poke them if you have to. You have my permission. You can, you can tell them. Yeah, we just, uh, we just want to be awake to these things. We want to, brothers and sisters, the devil has put us into a spiritual sleep when it comes to these things. A spiritual sleep that if you try and wake people up from, they say, no, no, leave me alone. Go away, you're distracting me. And this spiritual sleep is an obsession with our peculiar ideas of what these books mean without being open to anything else. And in the process, we are ignoring the God of Daniel and the God of John. And someone else is in his place, even though we might know all these details. So him that sits on the throne and the lamb. And then it says the four living creatures say amen, right? Is there anyone else that's acknowledged? You say amen at the end of the prayer, right? You don't say amen and keep praying. The, prayer, the, the scene of worship is concluded. That's the point. It's finished. The Father and the Son and no one else is worshipped in the book of Revelation. The true God and His only begotten Son. John worshipped the same God as Daniel. Notice what it says here. Interesting points that come out about God and Christ. Revelation 1-2. John, it says, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. How many are there? You know, this is why John wrote the book of Revelation. He was bearing record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this is why John was on the island of Patmos because he was persecuted because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. John worshipped like the beings in heaven worshipped. He worshipped God and His only begotten Son and no one else. And in Revelation 14, 12, at the conclusion of the three angels' messages, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. How many is that? The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That matches right up with Daniel. That's the issue of worship. Who's, who will have your allegiance in the last days? The conclusion of the three angels' messages right there is to bring you into harmony. The saints will be in harmony with the commandments of God. They will be keeping the commandments of God and they will have the faith of Jesus. That's what the three angels' messages are about. is to bring you to that place. And at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about the throne of God and the Lamb. Again, this is who 
is worship. You see, the point of these prophetic books is to navigate us correctly when it comes to the issue of worship. It reveals to us the full system of worship and it reveals to us the true uh, objects, not objects and object, but the, the true one who deserves our worship. And so in light of that, I am honestly, honestly beyond bewilderment as to how people can say that talking about who you worship in the last days is a satanic distraction. What in the world do you believe then? How can you give the three angels messages that deal with worship when you are ignoring dealing with who you are to worship? Maybe that's why we're still here, right? We've been giving the three angels messages and giving it more and more and more, but we need to examine that. We really need to look at what we profess. The fall of Babylon. Why does Babylon fall? If you look at it, I'm not going to go into details of the three angels' messages, but we've all done Revelation Seminar, right? So this is all familiar ground to you. Babylon falls. We believe because they worship on Sunday, right? But it doesn't say that in the book of Revelation. The second angel says Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Why? Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of her fornication. Babylon is forcing something on the nations of the world. Something in opposition to what the angel says in the first angel's message. Do you understand that? It's the forcing of an issue contrary to the truth of worship that causes the fall of Babylon. Now I know part of that is the wrong day. That's part of it. That's not the whole story. Because in Babylon, there is something more important than Sunday worship. You know what that is? The sun god that they worship on the Sunday. They keep Sunday because of the sun god. Just like we keep the Sabbath because of the true God, the maker of heaven and earth. These are the real issues at play, brothers and sisters. So we need to understand things are right. The Trinity is one example and illustration of worshiping someone other than the true God. I'm not going to take the time to prove that here. Some of us have talked about it already. There's material there at the back. I hope some of you are familiar with that. If not, please come talk to one of us. We'll be more than happy to share the reasons for that, if this is something that's new to you. So these stories in the book of Revelation, in the book of Daniel, offer us types. There are many others, many other details we could go through, even Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1, we have the issue of Daniel refusing to eat the king's food, right? An issue of appetite. Is that important, you think? Interesting that Jesus' first temptation was over appetites. And you know what? Appetite is the strongest lust of the flesh. If you can control appetite, everything else is secondary to that. Many other, there is a death decree, we saw it. There are amazing conversions in Babylon. In the book of Daniel, we have the destruction of Babylon in the book of Daniel. And we have a deliverer, the son of God in the book of Daniel. That's what's going to happen in the last days. We see that expanded in the book of Revelation. And the technical details of the prophecies give us the timing and all the different things that are associated with this issue. But you got to keep your eyes on the issue. That's what really matters. In Daniel 6 and verse 20, another story, another testimony. And another, another king is acquainted with the true God. Daniel is thrown in the lion's den, and this is what happens. When he came to the den, that's the king, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Which God is he referring to here? God the Father, the God of Daniel. Who was this king? Remember this king? King? King Darius. Hey, remember your Revelation seminar? Daniel Revelation? King Darius. Come on, you don't even remember the kings? Okay, the dates, I might let you off. King Darius, okay? And King Darius was a believer in the God of Daniel. You realize that? 
Now, some people say, no, hold on a minute. He says, this is Daniel's God. He's not saying it's my God. Well, he's saying that because he learned about that God from Daniel. In other words, your God that you told me about. Did he deliver you, Daniel? The fact that the king came and asked that, either he would have been crazy, or he actually believed Daniel had a chance of surviving. You realize that? So he actually believed that God, Daniel's God would save him, but he wasn't sure, so he comes early in the morning and asks that, and of course Daniel answers him. And uh, he was delivered. Why was Daniel thrown in the lion's den? Because he worshipped the true God, as exemplified in his practice of prayer, right? How is your prayer life based on that story? That's part of preparing for the last days. Your personal connection with God. Now, Daniel did that three times a day. Uh, if you do that, great. But uh, that's, that's not the point. The point is not to pray through. You can pray three times a day and do that through a form. The Pharisees were really good at that. So it's, it's not a formula, but it is a real connection with God that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys before were willing to face death over the God that they worship. Are you ready and willing to die for what you believe about God? If it's only a belief in your head, you might have second thoughts. But if you have a living connection with God, then you know the answer to that question. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not about just believing. It's about allowing that belief to be a reality in your experience with that God. Now, we need the right information so we can make the right connection and have a right relationship. But if you stop at the information level, you're no better off than just knowing all the technical details. So, right as they might be, they're only... Details. Notice what it says here, Daniel 6, 22. Daniel's answer, My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Have you ever wondered who delivered Daniel from the lion's den? The description here is identical to what King Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 3 when he says, your God has sent his angel and delivered you. But we're not given as much detail here. So could it be that this divine messenger who delivers his people, could it be the son of God who came and spent the night with Daniel? Very possibly. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying it's very possible because it's the same description. Now in the Bible stories, I know it's a picture of an angel. Uh, that's, that's what we grow up probably reading and learning, and so the kind of picture sticks in our head, and we think it's just God sent one of his angels, and he could have, but he also could have sent his son. And so, this contest of worship, brothers and sisters, is coming, it is very near, it is at the door. Who will you worship in the last days? I find it very interesting that in looking at the books of Daniel Revelation, part of understanding the issues is looking at the authors themselves who wrote these books. You realize that? We get so caught up in the information. Daniel as a person and John as a person portray to us these issues and what it means to be ready in the last days. It's interesting that Daniel is one of those characters in the Bible that is referred to as a man Greatly beloved. Not many people could get, uh, get that uh, title or get that description. And John, the revelator, is referred to as the disciple that Jesus loved, right? Not, not all the disciples are referred to that way. And those two people, you know what that reveals? That reveals what kind of relationship they had with God. That's what it's about. And these two people... God chose to write the prophecies that relate to the last days and being ready for the last days. And that relationship, you know, when Daniel was called greatly beloved, he wasn't called greatly beloved in Daniel 1 or 2 or 3. He was called a man greatly beloved later on in the book of Daniel, when he, when he had grown in his experience. And I want to challenge you with this verse. This is our last verse in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. And this is also in the book of Daniel Revelation, but here is what Peter says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory 
both now and forever. Amen. Are you growing in grace? That's the preparation you need for the last days. You realize that? You know, Daniel's experience was an experience of growth. You know, he, he grew in grace, in this connection with God, till he reached a place where he, God sends an angel from heaven that tells Daniel, Daniel, O man greatly beloved, heaven regards you highly, Daniel, because of your connection with God. There was a growth there. As you look at your Christian experience, if you've been a Christian any length of time, I'm not sure when the last time you did this was, but I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to do this. Look at your Christian experience and honestly with yourself, assess and see, is there growth in your spiritual walk with God or not? Is there growth in, your, in grace? Don't answer me. This is between you and God. But brothers and sisters, we need to do that. We are instructed to do that. Not just to grow, but to check, are we growing? You know, if you look at your experience and you find that you're not really growing, you're at the same place that you were maybe a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago. Maybe you're even in a worse place than you were back then. You need to stop and do something about it. You realize that? Because if you're not growing in grace, then what's happening? You're either standing still or, or going backwards. And standing still and, growing, and going backwards are both bad. Growing in grace. This is what the books of Daniel and Revelation are about. To see Daniel, to see John, to see the issues at play, and to understand the prophecies. How is your connection with God? So there's no need to fear about being prepared for the last days because you know all the technical details of the prophecy. It's if you are growing in grace. Is your experience now as a Christian better than it was a year ago? You know, how, is, how, is the, how are the victories in your experience? How are the different things that you struggle with? The different uh, character faults and weaknesses that we all have. Look at your ex experience as a Christian and just take, take your pulse, right? Take your own spiritual pulse and check. Is, is there life there? Or is it as it was last time you checked? Is it worse than last time you checked? You know what, brothers and sisters? Sadly, many times, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we look back and we say, you know what? I've been going like this. Right? Now, some of us might be going up, praise God. But I know also that some of us might not necessarily be there. So I want to encourage you. I don't want to discourage you with that. Okay? It's good to know what's happening. It's good to take steps. It's good to do something about it. That's what we see in these stories, particularly in the, in the connection that Daniel had as far as uh, what was revealed in his prayer life. So I want to leave you with that thought. I want to challenge you with that thought to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ. That is what will guarantee your safety through the time of trouble that is coming, that is worse than ever was. If you are blessed by this message, please share it with others. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.